according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I suspect many of you are anxious about a big vote coming up this week. Maybe you have already done your civic duty and uh, you have already cast your vote in what is called the most election or most important election of our lifetime. Of course, they said that about the one before this one and the one before that one, and well, you get the idea. Yes, voting is, of course, an important duty, and uh, about half of our nation will probably be morbidly depressed on Wednesday morning, while the other half will believe that their nation has been reborn, such is life in a representative republic uh, about every four years. I'm sure that somewhere along the way there will be claims of disenfranchisement. Some will claim, maybe even rightly, that their vote was not counted. Maybe they didn't have the right ID or they were intimidated at the polls. Well, whatever the issue, it is a shame when someone's right to vote is infringed. And then there are people whose vote is counted even though it has no right to be counted at all. John F. Kennedy rather famously won his election against Nixon in 1960, well, because some curious votes showed up in Cook County. About 450,000 uh, votes was the number JFK won Cook County uh, by in Illinois, even though he won the state by only 9,000 votes. I don't know if it's too late for Nixon to ask for a recount or not. In the church, we let people vote. In fact, we even give a vote to the dead, not just to call then a pastor or elect council members or something like that, but by preserving traditions, we are giving a vote to those who have come before us, the saints who themselves preserved traditions handed down to them. That's what G.K. Chesterton said in a quote that I've uh, placed on our website, on our, our worship page. The quote says this, he says, tradition means giving votes to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. 
Yes, in a very real way, the church exists to promote and defend and repeat the traditions that have gone before us, going all the way back to Jesus and the apostles. We honor those who have lived and died before us by honoring the same things that they honored and by teaching the same things that they taught. We discipline ourselves then against new ideas, with discernment, of course, but new techniques, maybe even a new aesthetic. We have the discipline to say, no, I'm going to honor the traditions of the saints who have gone before me. So to that new thing, I'm going to say, no thanks. We endeavor then to be faithful to what has gone before us by not being enamored with something or someone just because they are new. Now, that doesn't mean that there can't be some changes. I'm rather fond of our light bulbs, for example. I like our pipe organ as well. I like worshiping in the English language. These were all innovations at one point. But by and large, we have, hopefully, in the big, important strokes, given our ancestors a vote by carrying on what was handed down to us, by proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord and King of the whole earth, that he died for sinners like you and me and was risen bodily from the dead three days later, that God is holy and worthy of our worship, that the world should know whether Christians live in it or not, by the good works they see among us, the kindness and the advocacy. You see, this really is, I think, kind of a fault line in the church today, and it will only increase, you know, like an earthquake and a crack in the ground, because we are experiencing change in the culture at such an unprecedented rate. Several centuries ago, generation to generation, you know, the world was kind of the same place, more or less. I guess when they invented the wheel, you know, that was a pretty big deal for that millennium. But if you were born in like 1404 and you died in like 1459, eh, the world was pretty much the same when you came into it as when you got out of it. But now it changes quite rapidly. And the rate of change will only increase as technology evolves and uses itself to, you know, become more sophisticated. And that will make traditions and traditional churches, both in terms of their technique and their teachings, look more and more out of place. I mean, we're practically medieval up in here. Is that a price you're willing to pay? The contemporary movement and a whole slew of fads are designed to adapt to the change and to help the church look more relevant. The problem is that this departure can be a refutation of the way that our ancestors believed and worshipped. Sometimes the desire to modernize will split churches in half. One half will claim well, look, we have to adapt or we'll die. And the other half says, some things should never change. 
the church must be careful not to turn into those Athenians that Paul was arguing with in Acts 17 at the Areopagus or Mars Hill. Luke tells us in Acts that all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Luke does not regard that as a good thing. If push comes to shove, my instinct, and I can only speak for myself, is always going to be to listen to my ancestors and give them a vote. Not all traditions are good, of course. Some traditions are terrible, need to be brought to an end. But unless they can be proven in our church, unbiblical or unwise, it seems it is our duty to continue them. That should be our default position. We change when necessary, when our creeds demand it. My fear is that we will not be content with this work, especially as the world around us is changing so rapidly. My fear is that we have become conditioned to demand or to expect change, and will do so even in an institution whose teachings go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So on All Saints Sunday, we remember those at each end of the Christian life, those who have died in the past year and those who have been baptized into the church in the past year. We give the dead a vote in our community, in this eternal fellowship of believers, by honoring what they honored. And the baptized, well, they're to be taught that they belong to this fellowship, that they're part of this unbroken chain of believers. And then they should be taught not to bring in, you know, worldly mottos like uniqueness into the church, but rather actually, and I mean this with no offense, but to fit in, to fit in to the to the gathering of believers, to the traditions that have come before us. But what about the vote this week? <laughs> Isn't that a lot more important than everything we just talked about? Well, maybe this vote will buy us some more time as a nation, or maybe it will hasten our demise. I guess it depends on what you feel politically. But either way, it should not and cannot change the way that we live as Christians. For we live the same in any political context in which we find ourselves. And of course, Christians have found themselves in every political context in the history of earth, pretty much. Jesus is our Lord and our King and our God. And we live in a way that should upset each and every power that rules over us, because they do not break us when they oppress us. They do not crush us when they impoverish us, and they do not end us when they grieve us. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are grieving and those who are mocked. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. Do you believe that? Are you committed to that? Then no matter what happens on Tuesday, 
we commit to receive those blessings from God. And in living in such a way, we are honoring those who came before us and also lived in such a way. We honor Christ and we honor our forefathers and foremothers in the, fo- in the faith who lived under all kinds of situations, persecuting Roman emperors, evil Nazi dictators, corrupt popes, heresies that almost became official church teaching, and much, much more. May we have the strength and the grace and the perspective to honor those who have come before us by living in the same way for Christ first and foremost, no matter what happens. And in so doing, we have honored and given a vote to those saints who came before us, who kept the faith through thick and thin for centuries. Amen.